Now, we are in a series together on the priesthood of all believers, which is a little bit of a um, forgotten doctrine, even today. The priesthood of believers was often, um, well, it was one of the main restorations of thought in the Reformation. Before the Reformation, anything you wanted, you had to go through a Catholic priest. Only a Catholic priest had the power to forgive sins. Only the Catholic priest had the power to do the sacraments. But after the Reformation, it was made clear again from Scripture that all of us are priests. All of us can approach God. We don't, you don't need to go to God through a priest. You are a priest. And we have full access as individuals into the presence of God. But that's where the Reformation really stopped. It didn't really grasp the full importance of the priesthood of all believers. And although it understood that we can all have direct access and forgiveness from God, uh, in many cases, it just simply replaced the priest with a pastor. And the pastor was then seen as the professional, the, the man of God or the woman of God that you would go to to hear from God or to have from God. And although there was a shift in theology, there wasn't such a shift in practice so that even today in our own movement, Elim movement, we still have a divide between the laity and the ordained minister. I am an ordained minister. I can put reverend in front of my name, uh, and you can't, because you're the laity. But that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what Scripture teaches at all. Um, there are leaders and different ministries, of course, but there's no laity, people, and minister divide. We're all ministers, all priests. And so when we're talking about the restoration of the priesthood, we're not just talking about the fact that you can have access to God as anybody else can in the Christian world. Of course you can. It's bigger than that. It's about the ministry of the priesthood. We also have been looking at what priesthood we are part of, because we're certainly not part of the Levitical priesthood. And so last week, in an introduction, we spent time looking at the fact that there were two priestly orders from God in the Bible. And the first one was not the Levitical priesthood that came in with the law of Moses, but the first was the order of Melchizedek. You've, you've got it. And um, Melchizedek, the importance of Melchizedek, I think what we'll do is... We will just read that, Genesis 14, 18, because there's always a chance somebody's new here today. And so just to orientate you, Genesis 14, 18. Now, this is Abraham, and you see, Abraham's our father of faith, not Moses. Uh, Abraham is our father. We walk, Romans 4 says, we walk in the footsteps of our father of faith, Abraham. Abraham is the model not Moses and the law. Moses was a man of faith too, but Abraham's the model. So if you want to model your life on anybody in the Old Testament, then Abraham's the one to model it on, to learn from his successes and his mistakes. Because the way God treats us, sons and daughters of Abraham, is the same that he treats Abraham. And here he's coming back from slaughtering the kings and rescuing Lot. And the king of Sodom is trying to get hold of him. And uh, before the king of Sodom can get hold of him, the priest of Jerusalem, Salem, comes out in verse 18. 
of Genesis 14. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand, and he gave him a tithe of all. We see that this is very important, this priesthood, because this is the priesthood. If you're a believer here today, you are a priest in the order of Melchizedek, which means king of righteousness. He was the priest of the most high God of Salem, which means peace, or Jerusalem. If we go, we went to Hebrews and spent some time there last week, and especially focusing on Hebrews chapter 7, where what is happening is Jewish Christians are under severe persecution and thinking of backsliding into Judaism. And the author of Hebrews, which was either Paul or one of Paul's disciples, because there's so much Pauline thinking in it, said to them, don't go back to the law, don't go back to the Moses, because you've got something better. Don't go back to the Levites, because you have a great high priest in the order of Melchizedek, Jesus himself. Also, Uh, Last week, I was looking at um, a passage in um, in Acts chapter 15, 16. Acts chapter 15, verse 16, where the Gentiles were coming in and getting saved, and people were saying they should be circumcised. They should become Jewish. They should start following the law of Moses and the priesthood of Moses. And Peter and Paul were saying, nonsense. They're not under the law. They're saved by grace. God cleansed their heart by faith. They don't need to be circumcised. They don't need the law. And they don't need the priests of Levi. And James sums it up. And in uh, Acts chapter 15, 16, he says, you know what this is? This is what Amos prophesied. We are rebuilding the tent of David. And we spent some time in 1 Chronicles 13 looking at that. And David had wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem, hadn't he? Um, And when he first tried it, it failed because somebody put their hand to steady, Uzzah put his hand to steady the Ark and God killed him. And David had problems because he thought, how am I going to bring this Ark into Jerusalem personally? I'm not a Levitical priest. I'm from Judah. And then what happened was, God gave him a revelation, Psalm 110, which is the great passage about the Lord said to my Lord, uh, sit at my right hand till I make all your enemies your, uh, your footstool. And he also later on said, for you are a priest in the order of Melchizedek. And what David realized is that he was a priest, a priest in the order of Melchizedek, not Levi, but Melchizedek. And when they finally brought the uh, Ark of the Covenant representing God's presence into Jerusalem, there were two priests ministering, two types of priests ministering. There was all the Levitical priests in their ephods and white linen, but there was also David, and he was in a priestly linen and a priestly ephod, and he was worshipping the Lord. And he he brought the Ark right into Jerusalem, and he just put it under a simple tent. And all Israel could see the ark of God and could worship and praise the Lord with great music. Uh, And it was an amazing time. And everybody had access to the ark of the covenant, the presence of God. It was right before them. 
And that was all there in 1 Chronicles 13. And what we were saying was this is exactly what's happening in Acts, that the presence of God is now coming out and everybody can access the presence of God. Uh, In the Levitical priesthood, only one person could see the ark of God's presence once a year, the high priest. That was the only time. But when David was looking after the ark, before Solomon built the big temple, when David had the ark, everybody could see it. Everybody could, could be around it. So this was a picture of the Melchizedek priesthood. And we come to some uh, key passages that I've read before, because today we're going to look at the two, well, the first of two functions of priesthood. And the first function of a priest is to minister to God, to minister to God. And the second function of a priest is to minister to men or, or, or human beings. And so today we're going to have a look at the priestly ministry towards God. Next week, R.T. Kendall's going to be with us at the five and the seven, and uh, he will be bringing something that's on his heart, and then we'll be coming back the week after, looking at our priestly ministry to one another and to men. But if we go to 1 Peter, chapter 2, and verse 5, 1 Peter, chapter 2, and verse 5, speaking to us, the church, it says, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So straight away we see that all believers are actually a priesthood, not in the order of Levi, not Levitical priests, we're not from Levi, but nevertheless, if you are a believer, it doesn't matter if you're male or female, Jew or Gentile, this was James's point in Acts chapter 15, you are a priest in the order of Melchizedek and your high priest is Jesus himself. And I'll come back to this, but we're a holy priesthood in verse 5 and look, we can offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I'm going to look at what that means because... In the Levitical priesthood, they offered sacrifices, didn't they? They offered animals and grain offerings, and they offered those sacrifices to God for various reasons, for atonement, for worship, for thanksgiving, all these different aspects. But it was the priests that offered these sacrifices on behalf of the people. Well, we're priests, a holy priesthood, and we also have things that we can offer up To God, we can minister to God as priests. If we go down to verse 9, we are not just a priesthood, but here it says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who have obtained mercy, but na- who, have, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So in this passage, we find that we are a royal priesthood. Now, the Levites were priests, but they weren't royal. They weren't royal. And so this, again, is speaking of this priesthood of Melchizedek that we read in Genesis. He was king of Salem the old name for Jerusalem, 
king of Salem. He was a priest of the Most High God, and he ministered to Abraham, and Abraham recognized him as his priest because he tithed to him, and he brought out the bread and the wine, and he was a king, and he was also a priest. What does that mean? It means that he had authority, uh, uh, authority before God as a priest, but also he had authority on the earth as a king, authority over the affairs of men. So when Peter says that we are a royal priesthood, in his mind he's not thinking you're Levites, he's thinking about Melchizedek, the king of righteousness, of which Jesus is the high priest, the king of righteousness. And so when we're looking at these, in this passage here, it says, okay, we're a royal priesthood, a special people. A priesthood is always a special people, isn't it? And this is why it's important for you to understand that the church on planet Earth, of all, made up of all believers from all denominations, that church is a special called people. You know, you're not just saved, you're called. God did not just save you, but he also called you to be part of a special people. Now, we remember God did this to Israel. Um, this is what he does in Israel, uh, in Exodus chapter 19 and 3. Let me just read that to you. You'll see how similar it is. Exodus chapter 19. He's just bringing the children of Israel out of bondage in Egypt. And Moses goes up to God in Exodus 19.3. And Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, You have seen that what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure. You shall be, you shall be a special treasure to me, above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words which you'll speak to the children of Israel. So even right back there, when God brought Israel out of Egypt, his desire was to have not just some priests, a priestly order, but a priestly nation. That was his desire. And he wanted Israel to be a light to the nations. He wanted Israel to be a people that would be separated, especially to minister to him, but also, as a priest should, to minister on behalf of the nations. It was to be the priestly nation of all the nations of the world. And to begin with, God spoke directly to this priestly nation. Do you remember? And then this priestly nation said to Moses, it's too scary, we don't want to hear uh, from God. You hear from God, and then you come and tell us what we want to do. And then the law came with, with the Levitical priests. But you can see how that's picked up in this Peter passage. About, about us being a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, but not just from Israel, but Jews and Gentiles. This is the wonderful thing about 
Melchizedek. Because, of course, Melchizedek wasn't Jewish, was he? Because Abraham, I know it's a bit of a not quite technical thing to say, is it? But Abraham was the first Hebrew or the first Jew. So Melchizedek wasn't technically Jewish. Melchizedek was, was like Abraham, 430 years before the law. And, um, and so y- y- this was a, a priesthood that all believers could be part of. Now, let's talk a little bit more. Oh, sorry, no, just before we move on, we see that we are a royal priesthood and his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You once weren't a people, you once didn't have mercy, but now you have mercy. This is a key understanding of our role as priests. We're priests. And what is our role? To proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness. In other words, one of the most important things that we must do as priests is to praise God. Is to praise the Lord and declare praises to him. And thanksgiving. And this is in a a context of praise God who called you out of darkness into light. These are songs of salvation. Songs of deliverance. Songs of forgiveness. Songs of freedom. A special people that you proclaim the praises of him. Him who did what? Him who called you out of darkness into light. Who gave you mercy when you didn't have mercy. This is a grateful priesthood. Proclaiming and praising God for the gospel. And so at the heart of our worship should be thanksgiving. At the heart of our worship should be acknowledgement of grace. At the heart of our worship should be thanksgiving and proclaiming salvation from sin for all that believe. So when we're writing our worship songs and singing to the Lord, we're we're, we're worshipping Him as Saviour. And we're declaring and proclaiming the praises of him publicly in our services. But it's even more than just praising the Lord in our services and in our, in our own devotional times. We are meant to be a church that proclaims and praises God to those that don't yet know him. To be a witness and a testimony to the goodness of God in our lives. And to be priests that carry that message not just back to God in praise and worship, but as we'll see in two weeks' time, our priestly ministry is to get that message as a priest and proclaim it as priests to the rest of the world so that they too have an opportunity to come into this holy nation. Let's now go to Hebrews chapter 13, where in Hebrews we find a little bit more about what do we do as priests. We Proclaim the praises of him who called us out of light and darkness. There's a proclaiming, there's a gratefulness, there's a thanksgiving, there's that proclamation. What else do we find? Well, in Hebrews chapter 13, and verse, well, let's let's start from verse 10. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 10. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. 
For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burnt outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the gate, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. And then here it is, verse 15. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. What is that? Well, it says, that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. So here again, we see that as priests, because if you're not a priest, you can't offer a sacrifice. You know that. Now, we're not offering natural sacrifices, are we? It's a spiritual sacrifice. But right here we see that a spiritual sacrifice is one of praise to God. It's the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to our name. I'm going to go deeper into this uh, tonight when when I minister um, our priestly responsibilities, but from a prophetic angle. I'm going to show you how the book of Acts is just a book of priests ministering in the order of Melchizedek, going to show you what happens in Revelation chapter 7 and 8, when we minister to the Lord as priests, how power is released. That's what I'm going to do tonight. But here we see that praise, and I don't, I don't think many people really understand this. I, I think, you know, we sing songs to God, but pop stars can sing songs to people. We sing songs to God. We sing songs about God. We sing songs about ourselves. But worship, and you see, it's not about having musicians and singers on the platform leading us. We need someone to lead us. It's about about priests. I don't want any singers on the platform. I want priests. You hear what I'm saying? I, I I don't want musicians on the platform playing hymns and songs. I want priests ministering from the platform. But not just from the platform. You don't want... Don't want congregations singing songs. Congregations singing songs about God, to God. I want priests ministering to the Lord. So when we're singing, we're not just singing songs to God. We're not just singing about God. But actually, you are involved in ministering priestly sacrifice to God in a way that is far more powerful than when even the high priest in the order of Levi would sacrifice priests on the Day of Atonement. So you think of the greatness, and it was great, the greatness of the Levitical priesthood and how special those Levites were and the incredible work that they did. But when you raise your hands and begin to give the sacrifice of praise from your lips, which matches your heart, you are giving sacrifice sacrifice of praise to God. Something's happening. It's not just singing songs. You know, football, football fans sing songs. Pop stars sing songs. Lots of people sing songs. Singing songs is great. I love it. And for every occasion, but we're not just singing songs. We're not just singing songs to God like, I don't know, somebody who could sing could sing to his girlfriend. We are, we are actually in a priestly ministry to God 
that has a tremendous effect on God and therefore a tremendous effect on us. So, therefore, by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise. There was a moment last Sunday evening at the 7 o'clock, we had more time, when I was ministering about our priestly ministry, when we just started to minister to the Lord. We had worshipped before, and it was good worship. I'm not now criticizing all the worship life of the church. I'm not doing that. What I'm trying to do is, is, is help focus and take things further in all of our minds. And so having ministered on our priestly function of Melchizedek, we just began to praise the Lord right where we were. We didn't, to begin with, sing a song. We just began to praise the Lord. They praised the Lord on the instruments. We praised. And I was talking about how our praise is based on David's praise. You know, it's strange. You get these strange, old-fashioned churches and weirdo denominations that are still around today where they don't even have musical instruments. And they say, oh, you never see musical instruments in the New Testament. The uh, musical instruments are Old Testament worship. Well, they, they, they don't have a clue what they're talking about because Davidic worship... That is the worship in the order of Melchizedek. And David is such a great example of a priest in the order of Melchizedek because Melchizedek was a king, wasn't he, and a priest? Yes. Of what town? Salem, Jerusalem. David was a king, yes, where? Jerusalem. And was a priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, according to Psalm 110. So you've got David, like Melchizedek, is a king and a priest. And David, of course, is also a warrior and a worshipper. And, and his worship was prophetic, intimate, spontaneous. He would praise the Lord up on the hills. He wasn't going through any Levitical type of ritualism. He wasn't a priest of Levite to do the rituals. But he was just praising the Lord prophetically, speaking what was on his heart, ministering to God as the Holy Spirit led him. He, was a, he, he brought a worship revolution to Israel. Do you know that? He was the head of a worship revolution. They weren't all singing psalms before David. David headed that up. David was the pioneer and brought up a whole school of worship leaders and, and worship players. And so when that ark came into Jerusalem, the Levites were walking along and blowing their trumpets but David had all the musicians out, and David was dancing in the spirit. He was absolutely free in his worship to God. There, there was no legalism in his worship. There was no limit. In fact, he was so free dancing before the Lord that his own wife, Saul's daughter, Michael, was stumbled and annoyed about it because she didn't think that's what a king should do. But that was the freedom. And as I'm going to speak about this tonight, that very picture of David worshipping before the ark in Jerusalem, that was repeated on the day of Pentecost. Because the disciples came out with the glory of God. It wasn't an ark, but it was better than that. It was the real thing. And when they, when they got filled with the Spirit, and they fell out of that uh, upper room, and people thought that they were crazy. Just like Michael thought David was crazy, so people thought the disciples were drunk. It wouldn't surprise me. It was exactly 
the same priestly order ministering. And of course, not only did they minister to God, because they were coming out praising God with all the different languages. All the different languages. Because this Melchizedek priesthood that was on the day of Pentecost wasn't just for the Jews. It was for everybody and everybody and had all the languages of the world. And they ministered to God and they praised the Lord in public, in front of the people as the glory of God fell. And then they did what we're going to be talking about in two weeks. They then ministered as priests of God to the people. And they brought them bread and wine. Well, not bread and wine, but they brought them the message of the body and the blood. They brought them the message of sacrifice, the message of the gospel. And thousands got saved. That's not just the disciples getting filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the order of priestly ministry. This was a restoration of what in Acts 15, I've already mentioned, James would say, this is the restoring of the tent, not tabernacle, not house. The Greek word is tent of David, meaning this is when David brought the glory of God into Jerusalem and put it in under a tent for everybody to see. Anybody could have seen that ark in Jerusalem. Any visitor from any nation, anybody, male, female, slave, uh, whatever nation, could have come in during the time of David and looked at the ark. Of course, they couldn't touch it, but they could look at the ark. Look at the ark, because this was a priestly order that was open for everybody. That, that wanted to, to believe. Now, not only does it say in verse 15 of Hebrews 13, therefore, by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise. That's important, continually. We need to increase the devotional life of our church and ourselves. You see, you can't do that once on a Sunday, can you? That's not continually. That's not New Testament Christianity. Turning up on a Sunday, singing a few songs, and going home. I'm not saying that you do that, but I'm just saying that's not New Testament Christianity. That's not a priestly ministry. The priestly ministry is full-time. You you are a full-time priest if you're a believer in the order of Melchizedek. You say, well, I've got a full-time job. Yeah, and that's where your priestly ministry takes place as well. I'll be speaking about that, or we'll be looking at that in two weeks. That's where your priestly ministry takes place, before God and before man. You need them both. It's not one or the other. And so the priestly ministry is meant to be consistent. We're meant to be constantly giving God the praise, constantly ministering Him in many different ways and forms of church by ourselves, in our daily devotions, with our families, with our uh, cell groups, um, gathering together. The early church in Acts, you know, they gathered daily gathered daily. And people think, they, they went to church daily. See, wrong thinking. They were priests, and so they gathered in many different ways, daily ministering to the Lord. They, you know, the Levites were doing it. Just, at the time, just like at the time of David, in the time of the book of Acts, there were two priesthoods going on. Two priesthoods that God had set up, except one priestly order was temporary, limited, and had finished. And the new priestly order, although it was still continuing until AD 70 when the temple was destroyed, that that was finished. 
The, they, the real priests that were turning up at the temple for prayers every day were the Christians. So you've got, I mean, it's like a Star Wars film. You know, you've got the Jedis and, 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 and you know, the dark side and, and you've got all these different, you know, these different orders. The dark side, you've got these, and they are warrior priests, aren't they? Uh, the Jedis. Well, you've got, the Mel, you've got the priests of Melchizedek and you've got the priests of Levi. They're two different orders. But like oil and water, they don't mix. They don't mix. Uh, and, and one has already replaced the other. And from the moment Jesus died and rose again, God paid no attention to any Levitical sacrifice at all in any way. Well, it would be a slap in his son's face. Jesus had died, and this is what Hebrews is all about. One sacrifice for all time. The blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. They were a temporary measure to cover sin until Jesus came and dealt with all sin. Okay? And so I just want you to try and get a picture of what's going on here. I really don't believe that we have had a restoration of the understanding of the priesthood of all believers. At most, we still think reformed, which is correct, that it just means that you can go to God by yourself and not through any priest. Correct. It's far more than that. The order of Melchizedek is far more. It's a whole lifestyle. Daily, they were ministering to the Lord and ministering to one another. So, therefore, let us continually offer. In times of revival, I was listening, to, reading a Leonard Ravenhill article earlier on um, this afternoon. And, and he was saying, in time, times of revival, the lights in the church never go out. Not that we're addicted to buildings, but what he means is there's continual ministry. There's, continu there's continual ministry. Continual, the doors of the church are open. Why? Because there's continual ministry going on. Now, I'm not saying that the next move of God will necessarily be like that. I'm sure it will. But in the book of Acts, they were ministering in the temple, but they were also, you know, the lights never went out in people's homes. The lights never went out in the marketplaces. There was priestly ministry taking place all over the place. And during that time in Acts, I believe it was 24-7. Not so much organized, but people were constantly and, and, and understanding that I, I am on this earth. And the main reason God has left me on this earth is because I'm a priest. You know, you, you might say, well, I want to do this and I want to do that. And I believe I've got a calling in this area and that area. All those things are fine, but the real reason you're here is to be a priest. And your primary calling is to minister to God. The next thing it says after verse 15 is, well, I'll read again and then 16. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, which is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Now, the sacrifice of praise is not just singing a song. Where's the sacrifice in that? You know, pop idols sing songs. Sometimes very well. Do you know what I'm saying? No, when we minister to God, and this is where there has to be a conscious awakening with us all, including myself, we have to kick into a different gear. We're not just singing songs to the Lord. We have to put a bit of sacrifice in it. And it could be that sometimes you don't feel like singing. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. But when we sacrifice to the Lord, it's got to be a sacrifice of faith. You've got to praise him with a different spirit. 
and a different dimension, and you have to mix faith to it. It really has to be a sacrifice of praise. It's not costing you anything. I question whether it's praise at all. Because sacrifice in all priestly systems, sacrifice costs. This was the big thing about sacrifices in the Old Testament. You know, oh, they're bringing along their animals. Their animals was their money. Do you know what I'm saying? That was their wealth. And so when they bring their animals, that costs a lot, especially if it's the firstborn, especially if it's the best, and there can't be any spot on it. You know, you can't, you can't get away with bringing a lame offering. It's like, well, we have to take a lamb to offer. Take the one with the broken leg. Would God accept that? Why? Because it's not, it's not a sacrifice, you know? And there's a lesson in that, isn't there? For everything we do, do we give God a lame offering? It won't be accepted. No, whatever we do, including our praise from our mouth, there has to be a sacrifice. It's got to be mixed with faith. It's got to be understood that it's a ministry. And when we did a little bit of that last Sunday evening, there was a different quality. And it wasn't really being led from the front because everybody got into a priestly anointing. And people were just praising the Lord. And we got into this flow, this flow of priestly ministry. It wasn't like a, I'm not, honestly, because I'm talking about a new level does not mean I'm saying everything else that we've done is rubbish. And I'm not coming from that. What I'm saying is the quality was of a greater quality. And it wasn't the quality of musicianship or vocal, because actually it was being led from the congregation. The Holy Spirit was leading it. People were just pouring Pouring their praise on God. We're going to do that tonight, I hope, as the Lord leads. I would just pour our praise on God. And it was a sacrifice of praise. And the atmosphere changed. And the anointing levels of God began to increase in the room. Why? Because priestly ministry was taking place. But it's also, as well as our lips, it says, don't forget to do good and to share. For with such sacrifices, God's please. So this isn't just also to the Lord, it's to one another. Doing good is a sacrifice. Doing good, following the Lord, doing good to one another. Sharing, generosity. These are not just good things to do as a Christian. But these are such sacrifices with which God is well pleased. My goodness, time has just moved on. I had no idea, I thought it was quarter past. Let, let me give you some other headings then. I think you're getting the picture. I will be expanding on this more prophetically tonight. Other sacrifices. Romans 12 says that we are a living sacrifice. You are a living sacrifice. And that goes well with 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, that says you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're not only a priest, but you're a sacrifice. In other words, your body can be given to God as a sacrifice. What you do with your body, how you use your body, where you take your body, that body is seen as a sacrifice. You are a living, it's not a dead one, a living sacrifice on the altar of God in submission. And hopefully the fire of God is burning but not consuming all around you. You're a sacrifice. The temple of the Holy Spirit in Acts, Stephen gets stoned because he says, God doesn't dwell in houses made with hands. But he dwells, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. I haven't got time to go on. 
Tithing is important because Hebrews 7 talks about the tithe. You don't have to tithe to be a Christian or to get into heaven, but it is an appropriate response to the high priest. Remember, Abraham's our model. The uh, Melchizedek brought out bread and wine. Jesus gave us the bread and wine of his blood and body and instituted the Melchizedek ministry. That's why we break bread and wine. That's why they were doing it daily in the book of Acts because that is a, the, the breaking of bread, communion. And, and, and communion, we do it once a month in the congregational service at a 9, 11 o'clock service. And I don't think that is the best way of doing it. It's a way of doing it. It's significant. But the best way is with one another, just like Jesus did in a meal with his disciples, with his cell group, if I can put it that way. They had, they had the bread and the wine. It was a fellowship meal. Uh, and, and that was the Melchizedek. Melchizedek came to Abraham with bread and wine. Um, uh, I like what Paul s- says in 2, Kim- 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. He says, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. That's sacrificial language. Often when they would do a sacrifice, a grain offering, they would also bring a drink offering or a wine offering, and they would pour it out. And I think that's a lovely picture of sacrifice. Because what Paul is saying is this, I'm taking my life and I'm pouring it out for the Lord. And <clears throat> Paul was not always doing miracles and preaching the gospel to great crowds. Do you know that? Much of his time was spent in prison. And he did his best in preaching the gospel when he was in prison. But can you imagine someone like Paul for, for, for months and months at times being under house arrest? He must have thought, what is the use of this? Well, thank God he wrote some letters. But at times he must have thought, what, what, what's the point of this? But you know what? Wherever he was and whatever he did, he just poured his life out to the Lord. Sometimes when we pour our life out to the Lord like a drink offering, it might not look like it's doing anything. It's like you get up in the morning and you praise the Lord or, you, or you're in a worship thing. You think, well, what's this doing? Just pour it out for the Lord. Even if you, even if you don't think it's significant to people around you, our first ministry is to God. And of course, priestly intercession is important. Time and time again in the book of Acts, there was intercession. There was praise. And that intercession and praise did things. When they prayed for boldness, God shook the room. That was a bunch of Melchizedek priests with full access to their great high priest in the Holy of Holies, putting forward priestly intercession. And God heard and shook the building. Think about Paul when he was in prison that time, in the middle of the night, and he and Barnabas began to praise the Lord, didn't they? They weren't just singing hymns. It was... The priests, it was two priests of Melchizedek ministering to the Lord. That's what they were doing. They weren't thinking, oh, should we encourage ourselves with a good old song? Let's sing a song to keep our spirits up. It wasn't anything like that at all. It was like we're in prison, but they can't stop us in our priestly ministry. And our first ministry is to God, not even man. And they began to minister to the Lord. And the whole jail broke open. And the whole family of the jailer got saved. All of these things, and I could go through, if I had time, I'm going to do a bit more tonight. I could go through the whole of the book of Acts and point out, there's the priestly ministry. There's the priestly ministry to men. There's the priestly ministry to God. And look how it changed what's happened on the earth. It's just one book. 
It's the acts of the apostles. But we could call it the acts of the priests of Melchizedek. We could call it that. And so, as we close today, just leave you with this. Our primary ministry is to God. And in this day and age of wanting to get quick fixes and quick results, it goes very much against our grain or our culture just to spend time with the Lord. Why would you spend time with the Lord when when television's on? Why would you spend time with the Lord when two huge big football matches are on, on Sunday afternoon? Why, why would you spend time with the Lord when, you, when you've got to get, get to work? Why would you spend time with the Lord? What's the point? Just stick. And the majority of Christians don't spend hardly any time with the Lord. It's not an accusation. It, it, it's the truth. Why? And, and I'm not coming with condemnation. Why don't we spend time with the Lord? Because we don't think it's worth while. Because what is spending time worshipping the sacrifice of praise? What is that actually doing? Well, it's ministering to God. You see, the priestly ministry actually puts you in your rightful place. Because even today, when we get mixed up with worship, sometimes, you know, worship is all about us, isn't it? It's all about me. God, touch me, mold me, make me, 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 me. It's like when you hear, when they're getting ready and getting sound checked, they're going, you know, uh, me, more me. More me, me, more, more, more me, more me. <laughs> and that's what we can be like. It's like, I don't feel like, I don't like this song. You don't like this song. Well, maybe you don't like this song, so it'll be more of a sacrifice of praise. Um, uh, praise is all about him. Praise is always, praise and worship primarily is getting the respective uh, positions right. God at center. Not you. God at the center. It's act, do you know what? It's actually all about him. The world and creation. He didn't create the world for you. He didn't create London and, and, and do all this for you. He wasn't waiting till you were born so that you could take over and be center of life and everything revolves around you. Actually, this is all revolving around him. Him and and. And if you were to ask God, he would say, actually, it's all about me. And that's not an arrogant thing for God to say. It's an arrogant thing for us to say. It's not arrogant for the God who created all things for himself to say, it's all about me. It's all about me. And once we understand that it is all about him, things get into place in our lives. We get perspective about who we are and who we're not, who God is and who he isn't, what we're on here to do and why, God is so patient. But I believe that if we have a restoration of understanding and revelation of being royal priests, and we begin to see that we're priests to a God, like Melchizedek, priests to the, not just any God, but the most high God. Melchizedek, priest of the most high God. Once we realize it's not just God, it's the most high God, will begin to get our lives in perspective, perhaps for the first time, the church will become God-centered in its priestly ministry. And once that gets better and better, our ministry to the world is just going to come out of it. 
Because our ministry to the world comes out of our ministry to God. And the more we minister to God, the more we'll have an impact on the world. That's the way that it works. That's why Jesus spent so much time with the Father, so he could have so much impact in the world. He knew Jesus' first ministry was not to the world. Do you know that? No, I'm here because God sent me, Jesus said. I, I do my Father's will. It's like his first, it wasn't that I'm going to save the world anyway. No, I'm, my first thing, the first thing I'm going to do is my Father's will. That's why Jesus, I haven't got time now, but Jesus is the most incredible example of a priest in the order of Melchizedek. He's not just a priest in the order of Melchizedek, he is the high priest. And you will see how father-centered he was. He wasn't, you know, it looks like, I mean, it looks at times like his attention was, all, was on all the people. And it was, he did have attention to people, but really his attention was on God. And his father, I only do what my father shows me to do. I mean, how incredibly submissive and focused our high priest was on God. And there's an example for us. Well, we're going to take a break. We've got a 7 o'clock service coming where I'm going to minister this uh, more in a prophetic way. And then next Sunday, bring your friends, tell, let people know. RT, he is going to be ministering. He's writing new sermons and new teachings for whenever he does an afternoon or a morning here. And so it's fresh right from the Holy Spirit. And he's going to be with us at the 5 o'clock service and the 7 o'clock service next Sunday. Leaders, don't forget our net on Wednesday night. It's going to be a, a great time together. Thanks.